You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Well, good morning again, Gateway Church. My name is Bruce Harry. I'm the youth pastor on staff. And uh, man, what a great morning. It is, in fact, our missions Sunday. So that's why if you're getting, you feel like you're getting barraged with a lot of missions right now. It's because we love, love, love missions here. We celebrate it. It's crucial. It's important. And, and I have the honor um, of this morning of introducing our, our, our speaker for, uh, for first and second service, both services. Um, man, but before I call him up, I just wanted to share a little bit. Um, talking with him this morning, just, man, his heart. This dude um, bleeds missions um, just from what I've heard, just from uh, talking with him, from what I've gathered. Um, just kind of giving the brief history, just uh, multiple years um, in missions. He's been supported by our church longer than uh, myself and the rest of this, the majority of the staff have been here. And um, uh, he's, he's, man, he's, he's helped build ministry, uh, missions ministries. He's, he's helped come and, and support that uh, numerous times over and over and over again missionary himself um again uh, phenomenal um at what he does again pastor ben um i was talking with him he he's excited i'm sure he's on live stream right now on facebook and he can't wait so i'm gonna step back and i just want to introduce our speaker can we put our hands together as kevin prince makes his way uh up to the stage I'd give you a hug, but I don't dare. <laughs> Morning. Like you said, I think, I, I think my wife and I and our family are your longest serving missionaries. Um, we started when you were way back in your first property downtown Grand Haven in the old church. How many of you have been there at that point? One, two, and me. Uh, it, it was a lot different. Um, your church also sent a team by us in Trinidad and helped us move from one facility to our property in Trinidad. It was 74 acres of bush, and when I say bush, it was bush. You couldn't see 10 feet off the, off the road. And they helped us move from a house onto that property in the middle of rainy season. So we had mud everywhere. And um, I just want to thank you for your faithful support to us. Uh, my family and I left West Michigan here in 1996. Uh, I know some of you probably weren't even born then. I hear that a lot. Um, we went with our four kids, our youngest being 18 months, and we moved to the Caribbean. And we lived in the Caribbean for 16 years. And uh, we're primarily with youth. We did youth camps on our campus in Trinidad. We had 74 acres with a ropes challenge course that was probably the best in the world. And I'm not, we had cruise ships that would come and say, can we use your facility? We had taken bamboo groves and cut a big arc in the center and OSHA would hate what I did but we had our son and other staff members climb to the top of the bamboo and uh, had built a platform in the center, and as it bent in with them on it, hopefully they landed on the platform, and uh, we would have one staff grab it there. They would climb up to the other side, 
and bend that one in, and we'd tie it together. And we ended up building a whole dome with um, a whole spot where we did challenges, climbing walls and all that, built within a dome of live bamboo. And God used that incredibly during that time. In fact, schools were sending their kids to us that didn't, they didn't know what to do with. So we had Hindu schools, Muslim schools, and government schools sending their kids, and they knew we were Christian. And they were saying, we don't care. We, we need something to help us through. And God provided a, a really cool avenue for us to impact a whole generation of kids in Trinidad. Uh, we moved back here in 2012, and I'll share a little bit about that journey, um, and started excelling leaders. And we do minister, primarily missionary debriefing. Um, you, I was in Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago, and we're going again this week. Um, I passed a billboard that said, Islam's the fastest growing religion in the world. And it's a lie. Islam's not even growing above their birth rate, and uh, that's the truth. Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world right now, and the enemy is getting scared. So the attacks, especially on missionaries, are getting harder and harder. And uh, we just ran a three-week debriefing with nine missionaries and six missionary kids in Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago. Um, stories that are hard to process. And we get the privilege of walking alongside missionaries and helping them to see where God was in the midst of the last season that they were in. One family that we just did had been 17 years in Israel and were given two, three weeks to leave. Their visa was denied. Right now, the reason missionaries come back, the number one reason is missionary visas are being denied. That's the number one reason. This one had four kids, all of them born in Israel. All of them spoke Hebrew. The oldest had just passed, done the bar mitzvah and all that. They were Israeli in every way. And they came back with three weeks' notice to a passport country. We don't call them home country anymore. They're passport country. And those kids had only been here in their life two times for a week and a half each time. And now they're shoved into a culture that's not their own. And how do we help them transition back? Uh, we do a lot of stuff on transition bridges for missionaries. Many of us make many different transitions. But we've also applied it to kids where they were making that transition bridge in Legos and would name each leg a feeling on each Lego as they were building off to help them go through. But... Um, Next week, please pray for us. We were in meetings this past week, and in the middle of the meeting, um, one of our campus directors and with Youth with a Mission in Pennsylvania got a call in the morning that his campus was on fire. And they immediately left, and their whole property in Lebanon, Pennsylvania is gone. Um, and it displaced in that one building 13 missionaries um, from eight different countries. And Sue and I are going there Wednesday, driving 11 hours there, and we will be debriefing them Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday um, on those kind of things. Our, our, we've done a lot of those, but what adds to this challenge is that they're from eight different countries. And if it's not your home country, that adds it up that much more. 
into those things. So we really covet your prayers this week. Pastor Ben, thank you. I'll look up there because I hope you're live streaming. Thank you for letting me share. Ask me to share on a topic um, that relates to a lot of us, and it's called emotional health. How are we doing emotionally, and how does that affect our walk in, in how we impact society? I got a quote from a book on emotional wellness. It says, studies indicate that emotional wellness is so critical that it accounts for 58% of performance in all types of jobs. In fact, emotional intelligence in the workplace trumps every other factor. IQ, personality, education, experience, and gifting when it comes to effective performance for leaders. How do we stay emotionally healthy when things around us want to cut at that? Let me pray. Lord, we just come to you this morning, and I, for one, really need your help. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me for what you've called me to share today, that you would open up your word, that you would open up our hearts, but more than anything else, Lord, that you would um, speak through me. Give me the words to say, calm my emotions, and allow me to articulate what you would have me to share. Amen. If you can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. I'm going to start reading at verse 2. Let me um, give a little setting here. It's a story about John the Baptist. And it says in that first verse that we're going to read, he's in prison shortly before he's to be beheaded, though he doesn't know that that's going to happen. But he's in prison. All, all hope is gone. What's, what's going on here? I, I had this firestone ministry. Everybody's coming to the river. They're listening to me. And now here I am sitting in jail. And John the Baptist, who was now in prison, heard about all the things that Jesus was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah we've been waiting for? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him about what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is be preaching to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who are not offended by me. Now, that's a, a tough one. When John's disciples had gone, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. Who is this man in the wilderness that you went out to see? Did you find him weak as a reed, moved by every wind of breath? Or were you expelled to see, expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? Those who dress like that live in palaces, not in the wilderness. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, he's more than a prophet. John is the man who the scriptures referred when you say, Look, I'm sending my messenger before you. He will prepare the way before you. I assure you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. 
Yet even the most insignificant person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. That one, it's, I don't know if you've ever felt like John. I'm sitting here, God, I've given you everything. But it's not working out the way I thought. John here is asking Jesus, are you really the one that, that I've been preaching about? You see, John's the one that when he was a baby, he leaped in his mother's womb when Mary walked in. He's the one that's sitting along the, the river. And Jesus comes walking in and he declares, there's the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus and sees a dove come down, rests on him, and he hears the voice of God. I don't know if it, how many of you have ever heard the voice of God. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But yet, are you the one? I don't know if you've ever asked the question, God, are you really real? I know I have. Are, are you really the one who takes away all my pain? See, we hear in the, the messages so often today on the media that once I accept Christ, everything gets good. I'm going to be wealthy. My life will go on an upward keel. But in reality... For many of us, that doesn't happen. John's sitting here, really? Are you the one? Are, are you the one that I put all my faith into? And the answer to me, and it may be Hebrew that I don't quite understand, but in my thing, it's like, answer me simply. I am. But he says, this, tell him what I've done. Tell him all these different things. When John really needs to hear, I am. He said, I took care of the lame. I did this. I healed all these. And, and John, you got to realize, is this fire and brimstone preacher. You brood of vipers. If you don't come, basically you're going to burn. And here's Jesus giving a completely different message. And John's sitting there, what just happened? I want to tell you a little bit about our story. Like I shared, in, in, we started in 96 and moved to Trinidad in 2000. And in 2006, well, at that time, we had bought 72 acres of bush. We made an offer of $1.2 million with $100 in our bank account. And God supplied everything. I'm not saying it was easy, but God had built a campus that we now at this time and five years after having that property had a ropes challenge course. We had five houses that we had built, a dorm, a conference center, we were sending teams out all over Africa and India, training them to share the gospel back into their ancestral heritage going back. God was doing incredible things. April 30, 2006, I was preaching in a church, 
and we came back home, and on Sunday, as a ministry director that we live on the campus, I need to get away. I need to have some kind of separation from everybody. Our house was an open door. We'd have students that were struggling would come in in the middle of the night banging on our door. So what we ended up doing Sunday was our day away. If I preached in the morning, we still went out for lunch, and we had a membership at a, a Hilton hotel that had a pool. And we would go there. My wife loved it because it was the only place in 16 years that we had a hot shower. We'd come home in the summers here to furlough and all that, and everybody wanted to go camping. That's the thing to do in Michigan. And Sue would say, why do I want to go camping? She said, I camp all the time. Why do I want to do it now? So anyway, we pulled home on this Sunday afternoon, pulled in, and we had our two youngest kids with us in the car. And I dropped off Sean at the first house and pulled up alongside of our house. And uh, Sue and Alyssa were still in the van. And as I got out of the van, I lifted up the back tailgate. And as I lifted it up, four masked gunmen came out of the bush. And the first one said to me, give me your keys and your money. And um, we were number one in the world in kidnappings at that time. We had passed up Columbia. And we were also one of the top murder places. We were having a murder and a half every day for a year for a population of one million. And I grabbed my keys and I threw it underneath the van and I said, I have no money. And as I pulled it down, and he had a machete, one of those cutlasses, and he chopped me on the shoulder. And I got up and ran to the front of the house hoping to draw all the gunmen with me so Sue and Alyssa could get out. One gunman followed me and I was about 50 feet to the front of the house. And one of our dogs came at him and started to bark. And he shot at the dog and missed. And then he shot me. And the bullet went in my neck here, and it came out my back. And I dropped down to the ground. And Sean, who was 10 years old, had heard all the commotion, had been at the first house, came running up and seen him shoot me. And um, spun around to run away, and they shot twice at him but missed. The other three gunmen had stayed at the van and were breaking all the windows in the van to get at Sue and Alyssa and um, got frustrated. And Alyssa was in the front seat with Sue and pulled her over as a guy shot through the windshield at Sue. And the bullet went through her hip, through a bone, and stopped at the spinal cord but didn't enter. And then they took off. I'm laying on the ground. One of our staff heard all the commotion. They picked me up, put me in the front seat of a pickup truck with a back seat in it as well. And we load all the kids that are on our campus, all of our staff kids, in the back of the pickup truck because we don't know if the gunmen are still there or if there's other ones around. And Sue and Alyssa are sitting in the back seat of the pickup holding my neck so I didn't bleed to death. And we're take off and headed into the hospital. It was about a 15-mile drive, about a mile into it. The car horn ran out because we were hitting on it so hard. And we pulled into the emergency room, and they wheeled me in. And about halfway there, there was a spot alongside the road. And I can still picture that spot today that I thought I was going to die. And, and I could hear my daughter, Alyssa, at 12 years old, praying in tongues. And I could hear every once in a while you hear a word come out, and I, I still remember to this day, God, don't let my dad die. 
And they wheeled me into the emergency room and Sue into a room right next to it with just a curtain dividing. And they started examining me, but the CAT scan doesn't work. This is a government hospital in a majority world. And um, examined me, and then the head of the department came in, and he put his finger in the back. And he said, um, how come there's a hole in the front and the back? And the emergency room doctor said, well, the bullet went in the front, and it went out the back. And he asked him again the second time. He said, how come there's a hole in the front and the back? He said, well, the bullet went in the front, and he went in the back. And the third time, he had his finger in that hole, and he's going like this. He said, how come there's a hole in the front and the back? And the doctor gave him the same thing, and this guy was totally drunk. And if there was no nerve damage, then there was by that time. And if he was in front of me, I probably would have decked him. But I screamed. And they ended up putting me back in to another hospital. Put me on, in a, and I'm making this real short. Put me on an ambulance, took me to another hospital whose CAT scan was working. But in the country of Trinidad, our roads are really bad. They put a doctor in the back along with the attendant that's in the front of the ambulance. They're riding with the back, and he started looking really green, like he was going to throw up on me. And I said, Doc, you're going to throw up on me or what? And the ambulance attendant looked at me, and she said, why are you laughing? She said, you're almost dead. I said, well, that's the key word, almost. They wheeled me in, did the CAT scan, and she had to wait for, to take me back to that hospital. And Kimberly, one of our staff, had ridden in the front of the ambulance in her seat and didn't know anything going on in the back. And she's sitting there talking to her in the waiting room, and the girl said, how come he has so much peace? She said, because he has the Lord. She ended up leading that girl to the Lord in that hospital emergency room. They wheeled me out on the, the stretcher to bring me back, and she comes up with tears streaming down her face. She said, thank you. I said, for what? She said, you gave me something I never had before. And Kimberly ended up discipling her for the next year. The next day, they ended up bringing Sue to that same hospital, and we stayed there. We put a guard on the outside of the door um, because we found out there was a hit put on us. And our kids, we put in a safe house. And um, they did surgery on Sue the next day, and the doctor came walking in, and he said, if I'd known that bullet was that close to your spinal cord, I went to done surgery. He said, with x-rays, the bullet gets distorted, and I can't tell where it is. And he said, if I would have nicked it, you'd been paralyzed for life. And then he looked at me, and he said, a gunshot, that bullet had gone a fingernail width, left, right, up, or down. You'd been dead. There's no spot for that bullet to go through without killing you. And every night, every time when I closed my eyes, I'd see the guy shooting me. And finally, I said, God, I seen where, where they were. Where were you? And God gave me a picture of a hand directing a bullet. And I never had that nightmare after that. I walked out of the house three days to the hour of being shot. I walked into the prime minister's office the fourth day. 
walking past all the security guards, all of those things to, to find, to meet the prime minister. And God opened doors miraculously to a lot of things, but I went into a deep, dark pit of the soul. I said, God, where were you? I watched my kids traumatized. We found out that the safe house was not a safe house. It was in the same area of the guys that shot us, and we know who shot us. They were never brought to justice. The police were involved in the corruption. But my daughter and the family slept upstairs, and Sean, at 10 years old, had just been shot at, seen me shot. He was laying in the, base, in the main floor, knowing that the guys that shot us were just down a half a block sleeping underneath the bed for fear of guys coming in to kill him. It was one thing for me to deal with my stuff, and for a year and a half, my arm hung at my side. I couldn't use it. I'd pick it up to take a shower. I'd throw it up against the wall, kind of lather up, take a step, and drop down. It was really simple. <laughs> but I went through a valley of who are you, God? And I know it isn't emotionally, it isn't theologically sound, it doesn't make any sense of everything I was brought in, but I had to learn to forgive God. You see, my God is more powerful than anything out there. He could have stopped that. And I had to learn to say, God, I, I don't understand you. I don't understand the situation. I don't like where I am right now. But I had to learn to forgive him. And in learning to forgive him, I had to study his character. Who is he? See, I, I grew up with, in the faith. All the stuff was here. But it had to go here. I had to find out who he was. And I sat in the scriptures. I... I I sit in the Bible every day to make it through the day. I read Psalm 91. It says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He's my God, and I'm trusting him. He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of night, nor the fear of the dangers of day, nor dread the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though 10,000 are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. But you will see it with your eyes. You will see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the most high your shelter, no evil will conquer you. And it continues on. I read that psalm every single day for one whole year. And I could not read it silently. I had to read it out loud. I had to get it in my spirit that in spite of everything I was seeing around me, in spite of everything I was feeling, in spite of all my emotions, this was my God. And I had to let it sink within me in order to make that impact. 
In that first verse, it says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the mighty. I love that verse. I love that first part of the verse, living in the shelter. I wanted to sit in a fetal position in the corner and just sit there. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to face anything. When I would go out and have to deal with my staff, I was known as king of crisis management. And when I'd see five, six people at me, I'd thrive. I could tell them what to do. But when two people started coming at me, I wanted to turn and run. I could not handle anything. I wanted to sit there in the shadow, in the shelter. But then God started saying, you need to stand in the shadow. Now, the shadow, if I'm in Pastor Bobby's shadow, if he stands up and the sun's back there, I can stand right here and be in the shadow. But the problem is the sun keeps moving. And if he just stays, I got to adjust in order to stay in that shadow. And my other problem is, thank you, my God doesn't stop moving. My God's always on action, always moving. And I had to learn to start walking again. And it took a lot of faith, a lot of trust to do that. I, we had a team that came by us in Trinidad from, that wanted to work with Teen Challenge, and I dropped them off three months after being shot. I dropped them off at the site and pulled in and came down, stopped alongside the road to get a top-up on my phone card. And I walked in, and I walked back out, and there was this guy sitting alongside. He said, give me a 10-piece. And I said, no, 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 you don't need that. And I said, you're fine. He wanted $10, and I wouldn't give it to him. So I got in the van, and I opened up and turned on the key, looked up, and there he was in front of me pointing a gun at me about three months after being shot. And I sat there and I looked at him and I said, no. And I turned that car on, turned the ignition on, and drove at him, and he jumped out of the way. Got a half mile down the road just shaking. Had to pull off to the side of the road. But God started teaching me gradually, you can trust me. You can start trusting me again. But I had to follow his word. I had to be in it. And I also had to learn to forgive. About a year now, about six months after being shot, we had teams starting to come back. For a while there, nobody would come on our campus. The team started coming back, and we had the challenge course, and one of the girls, we'd have them fill out a registration of what they had to do, and um, their health needs and all of that. If they were on a one-day excursion, we didn't do much, but this is a four. And the last day, they run three miles to come back into the campus. She didn't write on that she had asthma. About a mile down the road, she fell over. And my son ran all the way back to the campus and picked me up so I could go and get her. And as I'm pulling up, there's this group huddled around her praying for her. And then there was this other group praying for another guy. And everything in me says, run from him. You don't know what he did. He was the brother of the guy that shot me, and he was one of the four masked gunmen. And I felt like God saying, you got to go pray for him. I said, God, that's crazy. 
there's no way I'm doing that, and I'm arguing. So I got out of the car, pulled up alongside the first one, and checked and prayed with her, seeing that she was all right, helped load her into the van, and I couldn't get rid of that. And I walked up, and I went up to the group, and I put my hand on the guy. And to this day, I don't know what I prayed. But I know in that praying, something dropped off of me. You see, it says in the scripture, unforgiveness dries up the bones. And I was dried up. I had to learn to forgive those that did me harm in order to be able to move forward. I had to learn to sit in the word. And it sounds very, very Christianese. Because when you're in the midst of a lot of emotional crisis, that's the hardest thing to do is to find a quiet place and just to settle and anchor. But I started making little cards, and I would carry them in my van, and little flip cards to keep me going on where I do. I had to pull up and put it in. I had to turn to trust him, studied his character, and anchored in who he is. I don't know what you're going through. I I don't know what stuff you're facing, but I know in the midst of a church service here, there's a lot of different things going on. We all have our battles. How do I stay anchored? How do I follow my God who loves me in spite of not feeling loved because of things going around? I gradually... It was about a year and a half before I could lift my arm up. I lifted my arm up for the first time on an Easter Sunday morning in a church service where I was preaching. And I started to weep. Because I felt like God was saying, I'm restoring this. I don't know what valley you're fighting through, but let me tell you, faithful he's taken it now to where Sue and I have the privilege of walking alongside a lot of missionaries we've had some that have gone through living in Nigeria where the whole village is wiped out by Boko Haram I've walked alongside of a family whose son was murdered on the mission field And the reason is because God is faithful. Do I want to go through being shot again? And my wife had cancer the next two years in a row? No. But he faithfully took us through to open doors of ministry that I never thought I'd be in now. I don't know where you are. I know my God is faithful. Allow him to walk with you at his speed and your speed. Amen. Lord, we come to you in prayer. 
I thank you so much that you are faithful, that your word is always true in spite of stuff that goes around that wants to wipe me out and have a different vision of who you are. God, we want to praise and honor you because you are our anchor in the midst of a storm. You never leave our side. You always walk alongside of us. Amen. I have everyone stand up, church, as we close this morning. I just want to take this time, and I know the service is, is ending, and we got the next thing planned right after a Sunday service. It could be lunch, could be with friends, family, relatives, and I get that. And so this morning, we're just going to, man, I just feel like we should end it a little different than we usually do um, in this time. Worship team, they're going to be playing. But as we conclude, I just, if, if any of you are, are feeling or, or, or hearing God speak to you through Kevin's message, I know I did. I know there's a lot of things that I can relate to, maybe a different scale, but definitely um, when it comes to, to, to wandering, questioning things. And, and uh, I just want us to, to really utilize this time. And so um, I'm, what I want to do is I'm going to pray and miss, but but I really want to officially open up this altar. Like I really want us to, to come up here and, and to seek the Lord and, and to pray, even if that is only a minute, maybe a couple. I know a lot of families in here and, and your kids are in the children's ministry right now, and I get that, but if it's, if it's just a, a small amount of time, or you can stay, um, we welcome that, and, and I'll even make myself available um, for prayer, and I really want this to, to, to be a time and create an atmosphere where we can respond um, to what God is trying to communicate, amen, to, to, to simply say yes to whatever it is he's trying to deposit into our lives. And maybe that looks like getting some things out and releasing some things so that he can come in um, and do some things. Maybe we have some reservations. Maybe we do have some questions, but I, I encourage you, church, really utilize this time. So can we pray? And after I pray, Again, you're dismissed, and for those of you that came and you're and you're, uh, it's your first time here. Uh, we're excited. If you wanted to stop at the connection center and pick up a gift, we want to give that to you. But but let's pray this morning, dear Jesus. We come to you in these moments. We're gonna uh, seek you right now, Lord God. We're opening up uh, this place. We want to feel your presence in this in this atmosphere, Lord God. And we just thank you so much for Kevin and for for what you have done and are doing in his life, Lord God, that how he is here today ministering and speaking to us. And, and Lord, uh, I just pray as, as for, for some of us, maybe a good amount of us in here could be going through some things, could be going through uh, questions right now, could be going through some tough things, some trials, Lord God. I just ask that you uh, would continue to be present in their lives, Lord, whether they, they can feel you or not, Lord Jesus. I just pray that you continue uh, to work in your way and in your time, Lord. 
be with us, Lord Jesus, as we leave, as we exit and continue to go about our day, Lord God. We just, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, Lord. And it's in your name we pray all these things, all these things. Amen. Amen. Well, church, you're officially dismissed again. Come up to the front, come up to the altar if you wanted to, to receive some prayer or to pray. And, and with that said, may you be blessed and have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.